T-Dubs, you're a lager and ale guy, huh? Yeah, I dig lagers and ales. You know, I drink and read a lot, especially about things, about beer history. I find that shit fascinating. Here's a fact. I don't know whether you know it or not. IPAs were spawned from lagers and ales. Uh, come again? It's, it's a fact, yeah. You see, uh, IPAs, uh, they just have extra hops pumping through their hearts. Hey, no, no, if you don't believe me, you can look it up. Hundreds and hundreds of years ago, you see, the hops were added to lagers and ales, and the lagers and ales became IPAs. Yeah. So you see, way back then, uh, lagers were like lighter, sweeter beers, and they all had blonde colors and light heads. But, uh, well, the hops moved in there, and, well, uh, they changed the flavor profile. They did so much dry hopping with the lagers and ales huh, that they changed the whole beer world forever. That's why light, smooth lagers and ales became bitter and hoppy IPAs. You know, it's absolutely amazing to me to think to this day, hundreds of years later, that, uh, that IPAs are still around. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> no, no, I mean, I'm quoting uh, history. It's written. It's fact. It's written. <laughs> Captain Cash. I love this guy. <laughs> Your beer's ancestors are IPAs. Uh-huh. Yeah. And your great-great-great-grandmother drank an IPA. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, if that's a fact, tell me. Am I drunk? Hops. And box office flops. A place where we can celebrate the underdog films, the bombs, the disasters, the much maligned movies that have drowned in their infamy. So please sit back, grab a beer, and enjoy the show. Welcome and thank you for joining us on the 177th episode of Hops and Box Office Flops, presented by Wobam Entertainment. We are the internet's number one bad movie and good beer podcast, as rated by comic book shop employees and stoner roommates. I, Chunkzilla, will be hosting tonight for our first installment in the Hops and Heartthrob Flop series, where we'll be reviewing flops starring a handsome leading man. Uh, first up, we have one of my favorite films of the 90s, 1993's star-studded true romance now here technically guys my heartthrob is christian slater although this movie is full of some fantastic actors that i think would all qualify as heartthrobs in some capacity but i think christian slater technically works right i uh, ask you is there a greater heartthrob than christopher walken i say no i thought <laughs> i thought chris penn was our heartthrob of this episode so See, I was kind of like dark horse candidate for me was Tom Sizemore, but what, dark what horse candidate uh, is Gandolfini. Come on now. What okay. about Rappaport? Come on, uh, Rappaport. He, he's more the boy next door, you know. Yeah. Hey, but don't forget Gary Oldman with golden teeth. Can't discount that. I'm picking the uh, attendant from uh, Coming to America as my heartthrob because of his sweet tracksuit. Drexel, nice Drexel the pimp's assistant. Yeah, I think is his name Manny. No, uh, I don't know what his name is. Yeah. Anyway, 
Oh, there's going to be a lot of that in this movie, folks. If you're not familiar, be prepared to have your mind blown. Uh, joining me on this episode is everybody's favorite dreadlock pimp, the Thunderous Wizard. Is it White Boy Day? It, it, ain't, it ain't White Boy Day, is it? It ain't White Boy Day, is it? Uh, nah. Nah. On the Beer and Movie Podcast, I'm pretty sure every day is White hey, Boy Day. I mean... Okay, that's stereotypical, but let's, uh, yeah, I mean, okay, we'll take it. But we are certainly not bucking that stereotype here at Hops and Box Office Flops. In, no, in, sir, we in, are deep, in deep red states, it is certainly White Boy Day. Eee, <laughs> 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 yeah, okay. Ah, and we're also joined by the pod's resident actor who didn't get the part on TJ Hooker, Captain Cash. I really misread that script. I, I leaned way into the hooker. It was not a great audition. Mm. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a that's an easy mistake to make. And sadly, folks, Mayor McCheese couldn't join us tonight. He's too busy cosplaying as Elvis in Nick Cage's head. Love you, McCheese. Always have. Always will. <laughs> Damn right. Hey, and as always, folks, you can find the pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Hops and B.O. Flops. You can download us anywhere the finest podcast can be found. And don't forget to check out Wobam Entertainment at Wobam Entertainment on Twitter and Instagram for all your witty dialogue and boomer pop culture reference needs. Sorry, Quentin, you're getting a little old, buddy. But anyway, uh, gentlemen, before we get into the movie, let's talk beer. And for tonight, I have selected a California beer to pair with a movie that sets its climax in the state of California. And I've gone with Sierra Nevada's Narwhal Imperial Stout. Bit of a departure for uh, old Chumpy here. Uh, it's a dark, malty stout with that uh, expected roasted smoky notes. Uh, it's got a hint of coffee and bitter chocolate. Again, standard stout stuff. But frankly, it was not enough to offend my palate, which kind of surprised me. Uh, it pours a black, uh, just straight black color with a finger of tan head. And it checks in with a Captain Cash approved 10.2 ABV. It is an imperial stout after all. Uh, it's smooth drinking. It does a good job of masking that heavy ABV. And uh, it's a seasonal brew. It was first released uh, back in September and should be in stores through December, according to Sierra Nevada's website. And I'm going to give Narwhal, uh, I'll give it one and a half bad movies, not because I didn't like it, just because of that heavy ABV. I think, you know, one and a half movies, and I'll have to switch to something lighter, but I'm going to enjoy that first movie and a half because, uh, you know, drinking it any longer would be dangerous. But, yeah, it will definitely help you get through some schlock. I don't know if you guys ever had this. I, I feel like I might have um, seen it come out in years past or something similar. Well, I, I have, and we've yeah. done it on the pod. Yeah, I was going to say it was it's a returner from uh, Orca, correct? It wasn't was Orca. Orca it was Orca. something else. But it was around the time of Orca. Okay. So, yeah, uh, so, yeah shame on me, but I got excited when no, I saw no, the no. store. I love this beer. I'm always happy yeah. to talk about Narwhal. Um, for me, easy three bad movie beer. Yeah. I, I will, if you are plying me with Narwhal, there's very little you can make me sit through where I'll be like, eh, no, nah, I mean, I don't know. Is Narwhal worth it at this point? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Is my answer. You want to you uh, pitch me on uh, some kind of like vacation home thing? Yeah, yeah. If you're giving me Narwhal, yeah, I'll sit and listen. <laughs> Go ahead. Don't, don't tell Hilton Properties that. Um, be I know that. Phone. Yeah, Captain Cash loves drinking narwhal so much. By by the end of his beers, he imagines the whale talking to him. 
Good luck finding your dad, Captain Cash. Thanks, Narwhal. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> I just have the, the, uh, the internet song. Narwhals, narwhals, swimming in the ocean. Just on a loop when I'm drinking those. It's a, it's a great time. 10 awesome. for 10. Strongly recommend. Okay. Well, I, I'm glad I picked a, uh, a hit. Uh, so, yeah, let's talk about true romance now. I have to admit, for being a flop, this movie has always been relatively well-reviewed. It's got a Rotten Tomatoes and audience score of 93%. That's that's kind of strange to see that kind of parity there between the two scores. Uh, this is one of Tony Scott's best-reviewed movies. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to throw this term out there because it's actually true this time. This is a cult classic. Okay. Yeah. Like- I got a question about that later. Yeah, it's it's a weird one. The Metacritic score is way too low at 59, but the user score is appropriately higher at 8.4. So, I mean, obviously, this is a fan favorite movie. Just remember, Metacritic is really dumb, and it cherry picks reviews. And if it has reviews that are super low and super high, it'll put both of those in. But it it aggregates far less reviews than Rotten Tomatoes. So as mm-hmm. imperfect as Rotten Tomatoes is, Metacritic is also very imperfect. Like if there's 300 reviews on Rotten Tomatoes and you go to Metacritic, there's like 30. Yeah. Well, it just shocked me because there's two, I guess there's two like uh, conflicting patterns there. You've got the parody on the Rotten Tomatoes side, which is not typical. Usually it's one way or the other. Either fans liked it better than critics, or the critics liked it, the fans didn't, whatever. And in the case of Metacritic, it's a little more standard. It's the genre. This is a slick action movie type thing i'm not shocked to see the audience liked it more than critics did technically but again contemporary at the time of release this was well reviewed and then you know retroactively it's also been by seeing by most critics to have held up well but anyway um you know is the movie perfect no but it is very entertaining it's got several memorable scenes and a killer cast and i gotta say this this movie is peak lawless ass 90s like it's between the cast and then the Tarantino script. Uh, yeah, this is definitely like an artifact of that time. This is the, a, we can do whatever yeah. we want. No one's looking. The <laughs> absurdity of some of it. Yeah. Like there's people here. I don't know what their direction was. Like Tom Sizemore, we'll, we'll get to the shootout, just basically doing pirouettes like a drunken ballerina as he's getting shot to hell. I mean, Sizemore is going to size more. There's only so like the best you can do is hope to contain him. Yeah, you're not going to control him. I mean, yeah, and and the movie just everything's turned up to eleven uh, at some point. You know, between it's a performance, whether it's the dialogue, whether it's the violence, it's just like wow. Okay, this movie just just all gas, no brakes, right off the bat. But anyway, uh, this it, this movie goes to eleven. Oh, I mean, that's one more than ten. The mm-hmm. the most '90s thing about this movie is the incredibly attractive woman who's hopelessly in love with this person who's kind of a friggin' moron, yeah, and has no agency throughout the entire movie, Pretty and much is much a loser, just just hopelessly dedicated to this guy who's clearly a rotten dumb shit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> you're so cool. You're so cool. I mean, it, it, it is a little bit like Tarantino was like, I'm going to write myself into being 
What do I, what do I oh, want my life? Is, yeah. This is a hundred percent his like high school notebook. As he stares at like the attractive girl in his chemistry class. <laughs> and then I told her, and then she came and met me at sister street fighter and the street fighter marathon at my local cinema. And of course she immediately thought I was cool because of my Elvis sunglasses. Uh, oddly enough, Tarantino was on the record as saying this movie is his most autobiographical skip uh, script. <laughs> Excuse me. So yeah, you do, you do the math there. All I right. feel like it would be to all of our detriment were I to do the math there. Yeah. Not enough feet stuff. But anyway, uh, for what it's worth, uh, yeah, the movie runs 118 minutes, so just under two hours. Uh, and it does move, uh, move along at a pretty good clip. Uh, it's rated R, and you can find it streaming uh, on your standard services for between $2.99 and $3.99. But you should really own this movie like I do. Uh, I can definitely say this was a solid pickup from the $5 Blu-ray bin at Wally World. And like I said, uh, the reviews at the time the movie was released were generally positive, but it was not a hit at the box office. And that's why we're talking about it, because it only returned $12.6 million on a budget of 12.5. So not many people saw this movie in the theaters. Which is wild, right? Yeah. Perhaps Tony Scott's best movie, but also one of his lowest grossing movies. Yeah, and what I find strange about that is like, you know, Tony Scott had done Top Gun. He had just come off the last Boy Scout with Bruce Willis. Uh, Um, Beverly Hills Cop 2. Yep. And then this movie, now granted, uh, Christian Slater wasn't a huge star. Uh, He he was gleaming the cube, Heather's interview with a vampire. That came out out later. That came out later. And the reason he got this movie is because of his... uh, Sort of sardonic wit and Heather's. Heather's, yeah. Read, yeah. Exactly. Now, he was he was the Heather's guy, effectively. Gleaming the Cube, sure. But yeah, he hadn't done it. Gleaming the, the Cube is one of yet. my favorite movies. Yeah. And it's out of print, and that's a fucking travesty. Mm. Hoist the flag. But anyway, uh, but still, yeah, I'm shocked to see this movie didn't make like, you know, $50 million. That would have seemed more reasonable to me. I could see it not being a blockbuster, but losing money was a shock. Uh, cuffs. What? Cuffs. Sl- come on slater cuffs man christian oh, slater rules yeah um and he's pretty good in this too he definitely isn't the reason it's like not his, it wasn't his performance that hurt the movie uh but you know like i said not many people saw it in theaters i know i didn't i caught this movie on vhs in the late 90s <laughs> and i think that's how most people saw this movie um so back to your point about being a cult movie i mean it definitely found its audience on video, but being that it's a major Hollywood production directed by Tony Scott with a ridiculous Hollywood cast, I, I, I don't know if you can call it a true cult movie, but I maybe. think you can. It's the forgotten Tarantino movie. He sold yeah. this script. He, he met with Tony Scott. He said, I have these two scripts. Tony Scott said, I want to make both. He said, you can make one. Yep. And he sold this one because he really wanted to do Reservoir Dogs. I think it being that like part of the Tarantino lore makes it a cult movie. Because if you see this and you're like, wow, this dialogue is like very snappy. It reminds me so much of a Tarantino movie and you don't know it is one. It's, but it still feels dramatically different because of the way it's directed. And this movie benefits a lot from not being a Tarantino movie. It does. And I got some questions about that later because, you know, it's well-documented that, uh, Tony Scott did make some changes to Tarantino's script, but hey, let's uh, let's get to our one-liners here real quick. 
Uh, IMDB gives this two sentences, so you guys feel free to take your own liberties there. Uh, in Detroit, a lonely pop culture geek marries a call girl, steals cocaine from her pimp, and tries to sell it in Hollywood. Meanwhile, the owners of the cocaine, the mob, track them down in an attempt to reclaim it. May I just suggest we take that second sentence and just throw some super friends on it? Meanwhile, <laughs> the mob attempts to recover the cocaine. Meanwhile, at the Hall of... Meanwhile, at Blue Lou Boyle's Laboratory. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Grundy want pants too. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, you know what? Watching this movie for like the umpteenth time, it dawned on me. This, this is basically what you would get if you let uh, Quentin Tarantino direct an episode of Friends. It's almost like a rom-com kind of goofy plot because it's got that Tony Scott commercial slickness on it. It almost there is enough like, happening here that I kind of agree. It, 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 like if you look at it in its totality, it's kind of goofy. Except like the stuff would have been funny in an episode of Friends, but here you know it's like gunfights and pimps. You know it's yeah, it felt like a really fucked up sitcom with some rom com elements. Well, you throw some rom com in there, yeah. no problem. It's Pretty Woman with uh, a uh, drug kingpin subplot. It's like, oh, yeah. oh, you, you got me a prostitute, but now we're in Thanks. love. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this was this to me was Quentin Tarantino directs Pretty Woman, but also Natural Born Killers at the same time. Ah, wow, well, there's like there's, there's a reason there, for that. They say there are such shades of Natural Born Killers in this, where I'm like, yeah. oh, it's like you wanted to do pop, you wanted to do Pulp Fiction. And natural born killers, but those became their own things. This was what you did before that. Okay. So this started out as like the first half of what became the natural born killer script. Tracks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It ended up getting split into two scripts. And the first part became true romance, and the second part went on to become natural born killers. But anyway, what's your one liner T does? Okay. So I would describe it as Tony Scott takes Quentin Tarantino's wet dream and turns it into the greatest piece of revenge cinema in history. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Kill Bill might have something to say. About well, that. I mean revenge cinema because he wrote a certain dipshit producer oh, into the oh. movie just to, sl- just to spite oh. him. Yes. And it's funny because I've read articles about Joel Silver and I'm like, I, I didn't even need to read the IMDb uh trivia on that one i'm like ah i know who that's supposed to be oh that dipshit huh all right that, fair that enough. Guy. <laughs> yeah all right well hey we've kind of you know already hit on a bit you know the thing about this movie that really stands out is the cast you know the, and you know the director tony scott we've already been through it first big project in hollywood for quentin tarantino because this i believe this came out the year before reservoir dogs or did dogs come out well first? he sold this script for fifty thousand dollars and then used it to finance that so that might have come out first because it was a smaller production but yeah you know he got the money to do it from this yeah this so this is like his first big hollywood sale you know getting this uh, project off the ground and and to be fair he is credited as the writer in in the opening uh, uh credits um and uh you know tony scott was you know coming right off of directing the last boy scout in 91 
And he managed to somehow assemble the most wild-ass 90s cast imaginable. We've got, you know, the key players here, the stars, Christian Slater, Patricia Arquette, Michael Rappaport, and Bronson Pinochet. And then the supporting cast is where it kind of gets bonkers. We've got Dennis Hopper, Christopher Walken, Gary Oldman, Val Kilmer, James Gandolfini, Brad Pitt, Chris Penn, and Tom Sizemore. I mean, uh, that's just a murderer's row, if you will. What? I mean, what, what, what kind of movie is this? And the funny thing is, most of those guys get like two or three scenes. Yeah, most That's of those it. guys get like two or three lines. Are you kidding me? Yeah, and uh, oh yeah, and, and don't forget Samuel L. Jackson shows up just to share his preferences on oral sex with Gary Oldman for one scene, which is I had forgotten that was in the movie. Yeah, I mean that was his first yeah. role, wasn't it? Like that's that's the thing it's, that got no, him in there. He's in Coming to America. Coming to well America. The, oh, you're right. I'm sorry. Thief at McDowell's. Yeah, uh, but yeah, that's that's just great. Uh, and then here's the cameos of like, oh, hey, I recognize that guy. That's also in the movie. Um, we get uh, the heavyset royal guard from Coming to America, the cleaning lady from Two and a Half Men, the OG Thor from the Lou Ferrigno Hulk Returns movie. The oh, that Greek, guy. Yeah, that guy. The Greek mobster from The Wire and uh, the FBI agent from The Rocketeer. So... Yeah, it's just the uh, whole movie is just a constant. Oh, hey, that guy. Oh, look what, who showed up. Black man is dad. Is oh, yeah. This? Gets yep. shot. He's like, yep. I'm hit. And he's like, you'll be all right. And he just die, dies in like a bed of feathers. Yeah. Very John Woo, right? And Saul Rubinek, who is the uh, nerdy writer from Unforgiven, who you also yep. recognize from Frasier if you watch Frasier. I'm, I'm probably dating uh, myself pretty badly yeah, there. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Saul Rubinek is great. And he as uh, the uh, surrogate of Joel Silver on screen is just tremendous as the uh, cocaine loving movie producer. <laughs> yeah. And that was his thing. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Oh, and uh, we can't forget here just for you, T dubs, you know, we got Hans Zimmer doing the score and the music for the, for the movie. And of course the main thing, wait, what? Yeah. Uh, no, no, this isn't one of those. This is no, a, I know. This before is, the blah days. This is xylophone blahs, but yeah, you got the catchy tune. Uh, You're so cool. And that was just in like a LinkedIn commercial, like a couple of years ago. And I was like, Oh, that's a, it's a true romance. Song. You know, when I think about getting jobs, I think about how, the man I fell in love with over a Sonny Chiba movie stole $500,000 worth of cocaine and then got in a shootout at a ritzy hotel in Los Angeles. I, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was three Sonny Chiba movies. Yeah, it was a triple $500,000 of 90s money. Yeah. Important distinction. Which yeah. is a lot of money and that's a lot a, of cocaine. A lot of who, that's a lot of... But what's, what's the line that Rappaport has? He's like, Clarence, do you know how much coke this is? Uh, I don't know, man. It's a shitload. <laughs> well, I don't. He's like, well, I don't know. You tell me. He's like, well, I don't know. It's a, it's a shitload. <laughs> uh, all right. So yeah, let's uh, let's jump into the plot here. And uh, to be honest, IMDb did a pretty good job in two sentences. So maybe I wrote a bit too much here. But anyway, True Romance is the story of Clarence, a lowly comic book shop employee that gets mixed up in a world of pimps, drug dealers, and gangsters after falling in love with the sex worker 
Alabama that his boss hired for him on his birthday. Clarence and Alabama get married at City Hall, and then he sets off to free Alabama from her pimp with the support of his mentor, the Elvis in his head. Clarence ends up killing the pimp and his crew in a shootout and accidentally making off with a briefcase full of uncut Colombian Bam Bam. The mob shows up at Clarence's father's trailer looking for their coke and or Clarence and ends up killing Clarence's dad in one of the movie's signature scenes. <clears throat> uh, in the meantime, Clarence and Alabama are on their way to California to start their new life, a new life financed by selling their powdery windfall. The plan is to use Clarence's actor friend to shop the coke around to Hollywood types and it works. Now, quick quick thing. Uh, $200,000, even by 1991 standards, is not going to be a nest egg that's going to sustain them for very long. And I don't know if that's an oversight by the movie or simply a commentary that Clarence is an idiot, which I think it's yeah. probably the latter. I Both think, are equally fair, I feel like. Well, I think you look, you look at where his dad lives. I think the problem in the movie is that Clarence is generally likable and generally likable not super likable but you can see that his dad lives in poverty modestly he lives, he lives in poverty effectively so the, the, the theory there in my opinion in his head that's enough money to buy a house and get settled down and still have he's still gonna have to work i don't think he thinks he's gonna be rich and never have to work another day in his life but he can get out of detroit and buy a house somewhere else now I mean, getting is, out of detroit always a win yeah Clarence is sort of likable, but he's also clearly mentally ill. A little. And, and also, he shows like a penchant for violence, not only by killing the pimp for no real reason, but he like screams at Alabama. Like when he comes back after murdering this guy, like, would you rather it was fucking me than him? Like, and it's like, this guy's problematic. He's not super <laughs> problematic at best. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I think it's sort of, again, because Tarantino wrote him to be kind of too cool for school, but he just comes off neurotic, um, you know, uh, kind of like a, a slightly cooler version of a Woody Allen character. I This is what I thought immediately, because obviously, you know, when I first saw this movie, I, I thought a lot differently. I was like, oh, this is great. And I didn't really think about how she had no agency and whatever else, but he's sort of like a character I feel like uh, the darker sides of the right internet would embrace because of this whole he's an alpha male sort of yeah, yeah. i mean it's, it's kind of like the tyler durden thing it's like you're not yes. supposed to like yeah. him and, and there's a lot of reasons if you're liking not, him you're doing it wrong yeah, yeah. and, and there's, yeah. there's some reasons not to like clarence's character again they try to make him the underdog but it, it, there's just certain things he does that kind of backs you know track uh, backs well, that up you, you, know? you remember when kevin smith would write silent bob as being like he'd like have this heroic moment as Batman and Mallrats, mm -hmm. and that's like sort of the joke because it's so absurd. That's this whole movie. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it, at some point Christian Slater basically can't lose, um, but it, you know, for for no good reason. And there's really no in Alabama. I mean, again, very poorly written character, and she's the only uh, female character in the movie with a speaking. This I guess, is, I guess this is of... her big break, though. I mean, never forget, like, she came, she's coming off the Dream Warriors, Nightmare on Elm Street 3. And yeah. she does this, and, you know, she goes mm -hmm. on, she's a Best Actress winner, and she's a fantastic... Uh... She has a long career. Yeah. yeah, she's incredible. I'm but... just saying the only female parts in this movie are uh, the casting agent and whores. Uh, prostitutes, yeah. 
is... not a lot, not a lot of diversity there, Quentin. But anyway, uh, so so they're selling the coke in Hollywood. Uh, the mobsters finally catch up with the newlyweds at their Cali hotel. Alabama, best Tony Soprano in an absolute brutal bout of mortal combat while Clarence is out picking up hamburgers. Uh, that's one of my favorite scenes of the movie. And that one holds up. No, no issues well, with that one. It's it, just it brutal. Just, it just shows you like uh, Gandolfini was just an incredible actor. Oh, he's such a great happy. He maximizes every scene he's in, and in several of them, he's not doing anything. He's just he's just a presence. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's he's menacing the whole time, and then when he finally talks, he turns it up like to eleven. It's like, dude, that's scary. Uh, and uh, it's a brutal fight scene, and it's 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 like peak Tony Scott action. Uh, anyway, uh, so the coke sale gets complicated thanks to the producer's underling getting popped for possession. And flipping on his boss, he agrees to wear a wire to the sale. The drug deal at the producer's hotel room goes pear-shaped pretty quickly. A massive shootout takes place, and Alabama drags a wounded clearance and the cash out of the hotel thanks to a hostage situation in the lobby. Convenient. And uh, the movie ends with Clarence, Alabama, and their son, Elvis, living happily ever after on a Mexican beach. And that's pretty much it. I guess I could go back and change my one-liner. What if Quentin Tarantino directed the Shawshank Redemption? Yeah, I mean, there's a bit of that there, isn't there? That's kind of how it ends, right? Yeah. But anyway, uh, so, okay, guys, beer ratings. What are we going to give this, Captain Cash? I mean, this this is a good movie. It's not over long. It's, what is it, two hours? Yeah, minute 18, or hour 18, excuse me. So, I mean, it, you can't get too mad at it for that. No, it, it moves along pretty quickly. With that in mind, I, I'd probably call it two. Two enjoyment beers. You're just sitting watching the movie. It's a good flick. Yeah. What do you say, T-Dubs? So I've made uh, jokes at this movie's expense, and I do feel like there's elements of this movie that are extremely dated uh, and racist. Uh, but I enjoy this movie a lot. I I can forgive the racism. You can no, excuse I mean... the racism? That scene is is kind of not forgivable as it's framed, and we we made fun of it in the opening, but it's not a, a like it's a very well acted scene, but it's a shockingly short sighted thing to write, as yeah. if like oh look he's sticking it to the bad guy by being racist at him. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it's very Tarantino. It's edgy to be edgy. Yeah, very, so, very 90s, very 90s. But it, it as a time capsule, the cast is just insane to like reflect upon. Brad Pitt almost steals the movie as a stoner that lives <laughs> with Michael Rappaport. Bronson Pinchot, who we knew as, as younger uh, people as uh, Balky Bar Takamus for Perfect Strangers. Yeah. Cousin inc- Mary! Is incredible in this movie. Uh, top to top to bottom, it's it's just a great, it's a mm-hmm. fun movie. It's a crisp two hours, and the shootouts are absurd. And I, I love this movie. And and don't forget, you're, you're just blown past my favorite part of the movie. Gary Oldman is Drexel the pimp. Yes, Gary Oldman, who <laughs> was told over lunch, like, "Hey, I have this script. You'd be a Rastafarian pimp." And he's like, "All right, yeah, let I'm, me in. Go. yeah. I'm in. <laughs> I'm in." I'm I, I'm in. You had me at Rastafarian pimp. You had me at Rastafarian. I'm ready. Yeah. Um. Uh, the best thing I read about his part in the movie is that he uh 
he reached out to the wig guy from Dracula and had them work on the dreadlock wig <laughs> for him. Well, if you're going to have anybody work on something for you, I, I know mean, just yeah. the guy. Yeah. yeah. You want to go to my wig guy? I got a wig guy. I have a lot. And you know listen, what? he's good. Yeah, he's he's well, real good. Maybe old men should hook up John Travolta. I'm just saying. Hey, old Johnny, men needs to hook up the entire cast of Hot D like tomorrow. Johnny T yeah. had a wig guy for a while. And then he just said, you know what? After I was Moose and the Fanatic, it's over. <laughs> oh, so wait a minute, though, T-Dubs. What's the beer rating? It's three enjoyment beers. Three. Okay. Yeah, Three or four. Like there's no pain beers here. No. Aside from maybe the the like, should I have beer during this uh, face off between Dennis Hopper and Christopher Walken, or should I just like shake? I feel my like head? if I pour a beer on it, it feels less painful and awkward. I'm just gonna mm, keep drinking through it. I mean, I'm in the same ballpark as you guys. Uh, I would give this a solid two enjoyment beers, but maybe just pound one, a third one during the Sicilian speech, just to like. Uh, kind of gut through that because it's awkward uh but i have a question about that because that we we've talked about this uh outside the pod and i think i have a way to fix that scene or at least a way to use that speech that tarantino really liked in a way that isn't nearly as problematic as it is in this movie but anyway that does take us to our first break and hear from the beer podcasters in our heads over at the hot nation usa podcast Hey everyone, this is Steve. And this is Adam. And we're part of the Hop Nation USA podcast. Pittsburgh's number three craft beer podcast. Join us every Friday for new beer reviews. We'll talk about the news, history, and homebrewing. Plus, we'll sit down with the best brewers and industry personalities that'll have us. So whether you're a casual drinker, a hazy boy hophead, or even if you're a whale hunting cellar hoarder, just search Hop Nation USA on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher and join the nation. Welcome back to Hops and Box Office Flops, presented by Wobam Entertainment. We're still talking about 1993's True Romance. So let's cover our general impressions of the film. And then I have a few questions for the panel. And I mean, I know we've already talked a lot about it, but I can't emphasize this enough. This is a really fun movie to go back and rewatch. I mean, there's just stuff you don't remember, and then you see it again, and you're like, oh, oh yeah, that. <laughs> It's great. And like as a, as a kid of the 90s, it just feels like nostalgia, right? I mean, it just like it kind of brings you back to that time and place where that kind of that kind of movie could get made with a cast like that. It this cast is truly insane and the rewatch value on solely the holy crap, that guy he's in it too. I mean, that's yeah, yeah, yeah pretty good yeah. for that. This movie came at such a time in all of our lives that people that went on to become superstars. And by the way, Christian Slater uh, was a star, but not on the level of Brad Pitt. Right. Uh, so like, it's really interesting. This place, this movie has, where it was like, here's the star. So like Rosanna or Patricia Arquette, um, she was a star throughout the nineties and kind of disappeared for a while. And then she comes back in uh, boyhood and wins the Oscar. But like Brad Pitt, biggest star from this movie eh, Gandolfini you could make an argument because Sopranos is widely considered the greatest television show of all time and neither of them is at all remotely close to a top line performer in this movie yeah yeah I mean Gandolfini is a background character in a couple of scenes and then he gets his one big fight scene with Arquette Brad Pitt just gets a couple of 
comical uh, uh, interludes uh, as people come and go from Rappaport's hotel. You know, he doesn't, you never see Brad Pitt outside of the, uh, not hotel, the apartment. You never see Brad Pitt's character outside of the apartment. He's just there as people are coming he's and going. on the same couch. He does change, but he's got the same honey uh, impromptu weed smoking device he's created. It's like a, it's one of those old plastic honey it's a honey bear bong shaped like a bear. Yeah. It's a honey bear bong. It's amazing. Um, and, and I guess most of his lines were uh, improvised. Um, and he has some of the best lines in the movie from a comedic standpoint. Get some beer and cleaning supplies. <laughs> Don't condescend me, man. I'll fucking kill you. <laughs> it's great. It's just Brad Pitt having fun. Probably actually smoking weed on that couch, too. You go, you go, you go down uh, for a while, and then you take a right, <laughs> and then yeah, yeah, oh, oh, it just yeah. And the, the funny thing about the movie takes the time to have those moments too. And uh, I guess you know that's probably my only real gripe about the movie. It doesn't have like the strongest uh, like editing or like connective tissue. It just kind of feels like a series of scenes, just well. hard cut. And that's it's very Tarantino-y, but it just seems a bit jarring going back this, to it. It just kind of jump cuts to everything. But, th but this movie does a really good job of figuring out ways for the mob to figure out where Clarence is. That's true. But it also does use the dumbest person in the movie as like a as a plot device twice. Yeah. Where are they? Really? <laughs> oh. Yeah. <laughs> Get the stoner. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. that's why you never trust stoners kids wait what no that, that seems harsh yeah it, it dawns on me now the closest contemporary thing i can think uh of that would be like this movie uh would be like knives out because well, didn't knives the, out have yeah. a pretty pretty just the, the cast the, the cast yeah. and it's kind of a genre flick you know and you have people kind of playing outside of their you know, I, I would say a little bit based upon genre, something like The Departed. Okay, good. Yeah, that's okay. That works too. I'll give yeah. you that because I wouldn't even call this an ensemble movie, and that's kind of I guess that's the thing that, that maybe I'm getting at with the editing too. A lot of these characters don't share any screen time with each other. We listed off all these stars, and there's a lot of scenes where it's just two characters together, and that's one of the characters only scenes. And he never, and some, some of those, like several of those characters never appear with, with anybody else in the movie. It's just a one-off. Lots I mean, of one-off scenes. It's, it's, I mean, it happens, right? Like where big time actors just basically do something, at, you know, for free or yeah. at, at like scale, like they get paid, yeah. like what an extra would be paid. Like uh, William Hurt, right? He just died. And like, uh, he randomly appears in a history of violence just to like steal the movie. <laughs> what like, are you here for steal the movie and it's oh, like holy yeah, shit people are like oh he's gonna get nominated for best supporting actor and he's literally in like a scene and a half of that movie yeah well you look at uh what uh oh, what's his face did for a uh, money ball and uh, the same thing for uh you mean money plane no we're we talking fraser and money plane no uh wolf money plane wall street uh wolf what's his wall name street, yeah uh, DiCaprio? no the other guy jonah hill um, jonah hill so here's yeah, here Here's he, another one. He begged to be in both those movies. I'm yeah. saying, but yeah, uh, actors do that all the time. But usually, just one actor. You don't get like a uh, whole bunch. <laughs> so uh, another one that's like this for me. 
which is also a 90s movie, but Boogie Nights, where you look uh, at Boogie Nights and like yeah. all these people in Boogie Nights went on to be huge stars, including uh, fake Captain Cash, Thomas Jane. Not a huge star, but star. T- uh, TJ is a star, baby. I won't hear any different. <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yep. Uh, Don Cheadle. Uh, obviously, Wahlberg and, and John C. Riley and Burt Reynolds. But, yeah. Well, he was like, that was like his comeback. So he's well, like, no, but yeah, but that's a, that was a big deal to get him to yeah. play that role. But that's another, that's one of my all time, all timers. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a good example. I dig that one. Um, so yeah, we've already kind of talked about it, but, and we lampooned it in the opening, but this movie is famous for a lot of reasons, but a big one is the infamous Sicilian speech. Uh, where Dennis Hopper resigned to the fact that he's going to be killed by Christopher Watkins' gangster character, decides to get one last jab in, uh, you know, on these mobsters by going into a detailed speech about the genealogical history of Sicilians. And it gets into some pretty dicey racial territory. And clearly Tarantino's kind of famous for wanting to use the N-word in his movies, but this felt gratuitous uh upon rewatching like in the 90s it had like the facade of being edgy and it got a pass at the time but man every time i've watched it since it gets worse and worse and worse and so in my opinion that scene does not hold up at all no when you're quentin this is gratuitous even for you Yeah. yeah when you're a character who's going out like sort of heroically by not giving up his son does so as if he is uh DiCaprio's character from Django Unchained. Yeah, maybe, maybe yeah. not great. Yeah. yeah. I, so uh, you know, so I do have an idea on how you fix this, and you still get to use that speech in the movie because Tarantino said that he had a roommate uh at some point that used to you know tell this speech verbatim effectively. And he thought it was great and took note of it. Now he makes sure to point out it was a black guy. Uh, you know that said it uh you know but regardless if he really wanted to use it i think you could have used it if you had had the gangsters you know basically beating up an african-american character looking for dennis hopper's character and then have the african-american character deliver it after those guys had already been you know racist to him ah okay i got it if, like, so you- like so like you get a black it, guy to play the Rappaport character. Well, he was as gonna, opposed to that character was uh, that uh, Rappaport's character, uh, Ricky Dicky or whatever his name, Dicky Nicky, whatever his name was. That character was originally written as African American, but they ended up uh, casting it as, as Michael Rappaport. But no, I, I just think you could still use it in a way that that would make more sense because it does not feel heroic to have a character resort to effectively racism as a I gotcha. Uh, as he, you know, goes out on his, yeah. I don't know, I, but you know what? Ultimately, just don't do it at all, and the movie is, does not suffer one bit. You know, you just you just have Christopher Walken and, and Dennis Hopper riff for a bit, call each other an eggplant yes. and a cantaloupe, and it's good. For for the record, uh, you know, in Pulp Fiction, you have Walken come in just to give a speech about having a watch up his ass, mm-hmm. and it's just as effective as. Like and like, you will never forget that scene, and none of it is like cringeworthy. Twenty, you know, thirty years later. So 
it, it's it's shocking but not gratuitous it's just kind of like okay damn yeah i don't know you know it's uh, again the movie probably could have done without it and i don't think it would have suffered any at all um all right so i think i've already kind of tipped my hat on this one but what are our favorite characters uh or scenes in the movie anybody got like you know a number one pick captain cash it's gonna be hard to top brad pitt's character <laughs> i just it really like there's a reason that brad pitt goes on to become arguably the biggest movie star of his generation and uh it's it's just it's just real good it's, yeah it's, it's real fucking funny it, it's just real surprising now i think it's even more surprising you know, with Brad Pitt being Brad Pitt today to go back and watch this movie and see him uh, as the uh, as Floyd, the stoner roommate. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it's funny, too, because, you know, now Brad Pitt is taking on all these quirky roles. But by the time people went back and looked at this movie or when people went back and looked at this movie, Brad Pitt was like Tyler Durden, the guy from Snatch. He was the the handsome dude everybody wanted to be and to see him do this kind of goofy stoner role was really shocking and kind of fun. And now it's like, Oh, well, you know, I guess he's Brad Pitt. It, it, I guess it doesn't have the same impact. I guess I'd say. It gets me every time. What about you T dubs? So here's my curveball because I, I could easily see Gandolfini probably best scene, best character, Mm. but it's, it's Elliot. It's Bronson Pinchot. (laughs) <laughs> he makes the movie and the shootout is the best scene simply because of how disdainfully he's treated by the producer. <laughs> and then when he finds out that Elliot has sold him out, I treated you like a son and you stabbed me out. <laughs> and he throws the hot coffee on him and the yeah. cops just shoot the motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> just blow this producer away yeah it's uh it's something it it, it is something <laughs> uh yeah um I, yeah like take I said, me away take me away I, somebody I, was take you away. Uh, I, I i do really enjoy uh the way he delivers the line like when he asked the cops if he could just leave, can I, am I done here? Can I just go now? <laughs> and that's how, that's how uh, Elliot outs himself to the, to the producer is guy. It, Cause yeah. Is it officer he, dimes? Officer dimes. Uh, yeah. Officer, I'm, I'm done here now. Right. You don't need me anymore. <laughs> Did he, but he's like, he acts that whole scene as if he's on cocaine, even though he's not because he's so nervous about what he's doing. Like yeah. his, his like reactions to what's going on is everything in that scene. Yeah. I also, I have to admit, I also enjoy that you've got uh, Tom Sizemore and Chris Penn's cop characters in the other room listening to the wire and like commentating on it like fucking frat boys. And I'm like, I hate to say it, that's probably closer than the truth than I would like it to be. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, no, but for me, honestly, the movie starts off with the, with the stuff with Drexel. And I, that has always been my favorite. Gary Oldman is just unrecognizable as Drexel the Pimp. I, 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 every time I watch this movie, I just, I always <laughs> just, just like, I laugh my ass off because he's so goofy and over the top. And you can tell he's having just a blast being this ridiculous character. Throwing I mean, in the, fairness, the lamp 
back and yes. forth. <laughs> Gary Oldman yeah. is almost always unrecognizable in virtually everything he does. So yeah, exactly. But I just I I didn't know that was Gary Oldman for forever. Well, I, I just I just nice. I, I just always wondered. Oh man, that guy seemed pretty cool. I wonder who that dude really was. Better oh, Gary shit. Oldman performance. This or Tiptoes. Oh, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. You had to go there. You had to go to Tiptoes on me. Come on now. In both movies, he sits on a couch. So, mm. so there's that. Yeah, Tiptoes, people. Check it out. It's a thing. Matthew McConaughey and, and I think uh, Kate Beckinsale are in that too. Well, all right, all right, all right. And Dinklage. Yeah. I'm and a Marxist. Dinklage. Yeah, as a French, a French Marxist. I, I, YouTube, folks. Look it up on YouTube. Tiptoes. It's, I am an anarchist. I am a Marxist. I don't. I don't know how that movie got made. I don't. I don't know. That's uh. Yeah. Yeah. So okay, with Brad Pitt off the table, who has the best like just random ass cameo in the movie? Gilmer, book it. Boom. Yeah. You know I love Val. Yeah. I mean, but you wouldn't know it's Val Kilmer, would you? Is that why? I love you, Val. Always have. Always will. Right. I mean, there were some issues they didn't think they could. So listeners, I think we have to point out now we've referred to it, but never explicitly stated it. Uh, Val Kilmer plays the Elvis Presley in Clarence's head. So uh, a couple of times during the film, Clarence goes to collect himself in a bathroom, looks into a mirror and behind him, just from like the mid mid chest downish. Yeah, always vaguely out of frame, not totally there. Yeah, we see uh, Elvis, what is clearly someone dressed in Elvis garb, speaking in an Elvis voice, giving Clarence advice. Um, And in the credits, uh, Val Kilmer is billed as the mentor. Um, And I guess the the story goes, uh, Tony Scott was worried about getting the rights from Lisa Marie, so they just decided to go the vague route. Even though allegedly Val Kilmer has spent up to eight hours in makeup for the two ah, days. That's amazing. For the two days of um, work they shot those scenes. But he also auditioned to be Clarence. I think yes. that's the biggest win of his career because the Clarence character to me is a big nothing burger. Like he's too he's too good looking to be Clarence. I'll just be honest with you. I I, I don't like that character. Like that character is not what I remember about this movie. He could he could have done the Michael so, Rappaport character. Well, I, I, I honestly think because Brad Pitt is so good as the stoner, he could have also done that character. That's, yeah, absolutely. You could have had the better looking guy being the the struggling actor. That but would that would everybody fit. wanted to be Clarence. Like this yeah. was like the young Hollywood like it role. Yeah. And I love that Val Kilmer is like, oh, I didn't get the role. Well, screw it. I'll just do this thing that's essentially uncredited work. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm I didn't get the role. Make me Elvis. Yeah. I mean, I you know. Balance. Yeah, I think that's great. I think to your point, TJ, just having Val Kilmer in such an obscure role makes it makes it the coolest cameo. Also, that totally Elvis, unexpected. That Elvis statue in Clarence's apartment. Can you name one other place you've seen that statue? Seinfeld. I don't think it's in Seinfeld. Oh. Saved by the Bell. Oh, Screech's parents had that statue. Okay. And April O'Neil in the 1990 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie had that statue no and way it's at a bar in cleveland that i've been to did you just know that no, no, that? No. i just know 
Okay. This is a big deal. I just know in my heart of hearts. That's the episode where they're doing the karaoke and somebody almost knocks it over and uh, Zach or Slater has to catch it before it crashes to the ground. Mm. I know that statue. Wow. Okay. I know. I know that statue in my bones. You got the. You're gonna have to screenshot some of that and put it up on the socials, man. Uh, I think you've already established this, but what's the panel's take on it? Do we consider this a Tarantino movie? Is this a Tarantino movie proper? Yeah, I think it is. I think he wrote it. I mean, he had a huge, yeah. and it wasn't that much deviated from what he wrote, aside from the structure or the order of the events. Unlike Natural Born Killers, which is apparently vastly different from what he wrote because Oliver Stone mm. didn't really like what he wrote. Like this is basically the script aside from, and yep. I think you'll talk about the ending, but yeah, uh, it just goes in order, which his script didn't. And this movie should be in order. It, it wouldn't work. There's not enough interweaving storylines for this not to be in order. Yeah. And I, you know, I, we obviously got to see a Quentin Tarantino movie done not in non-linear fashion with Pulp Fiction. I don't know if that would have helped this movie at all. I certainly don't think that would have kept it from flopping. I mean, I think this movie works just fine in a more linear fashion. Um, but yeah, to your point, the original script did call for it to happen out of order. I think originally you told me this, T-Dubs, the opening scene was supposed to be the trailer scene with Clarence's dad. Yeah, so they would actually meet with Clarence's dad before you see how they meet. And yeah. for a movie where they're the two main characters, this isn't like Bruce Willis and his uh, girlfriend who couldn't act in Pulp Fiction or Samuel L. Jackson and uh, Vincent Vega, John Travolta, where they have their own story arc. They're the story arc. So yeah. that would make no sense. Yeah, it would have just been overly complicated for a movie that didn't need it. But the ending also was changed slightly. Uh, in Tarantino's original script, uh, Clarence is shot during the uh, uh, final shootout in the hotel room, and that leaves poor Alabama a widow. So, I mean, do you guys think that original ending would have been better? I uh, genuinely don't think so. Yeah, agreed. Like, this, this is a fairy tale. It's a fun mm -hmm. little thing, and... You, I don't think you could have had it end on that much of a down note. I just don't think it would. No, because honestly, I agree with you. As much as I don't really care about Clarence by the end of the movie, after you see Alabama kill uh, uh, Gandolfini, Gandolfini, whoever he is, Gandolfini. Yeah, yeah, in that brutal fight and fight for her life, you are instantly pulling for her and you want her to have a happy ending. So you want Clarence to survive for her at the end. I think yeah. it makes her a better story. I look um, at it in two ways. Like she's she's obviously a victim of a lot of things. Yeah. And Clarence is not exactly good for her either. In fact, he just makes things dramatically worse for her than they could have been <laughs> when they could have just left. Yeah. I mean, the, the best you can say is at least he's trying to do the yeah. right thing given the circumstances, but but this yeah. isn't like, you know, you said like when he wrote this, this is essentially like the basis for natural born killers. And like by the end of this movie, it's like, oh, now these two have a kid. Great. That's a good idea. <laughs> That's going to fix everything. Let's let the guy who pulled a gun on the poor Elliot in the elevator just to see what, see if he could hold his mud, raise a child in Cancun. Uh, he went on eye. to be the girls gone wild guy. That that's what happened to. Uh, I was gonna say Clarence. that kid grew up at senior frogs. It yeah. wasn't good for him either. 
Oh, oh no. Um, all right. Uh, seeing as though this uh, movie made no money, do you think it would have made more money if Tarantino had stuck around to direct? No. No. Because no. because uh, Reservoir Dogs is a flop. So nobody yeah. knew who he was then. So yeah, and that was I mean that's a much smaller movie. Uh, yeah, you know again. The reason I asked that question is really just to, to open the door to why the hell did this movie flop so hard? Uh, well, a bunch of like, uh, again, Slater was popular, but he wasn't like super leading man material. And he wasn't an action guy. Either, yeah. Right. Like, and, he wasn't uh, known for being a shoot him up dude. He wasn't Tom Cruise. Right. Like, so Tony no. Scott's biggest hits had big stars. The last Boy Scout was a hit, and and Top Gun was a hit, and I don't, and honestly, like you can take kids to see Top Gun. You can't. This is like a different level of rated R. Yeah, this my, is a hard you know, like, R. I was hard going to see 90s R. rated R movies with my dad in the early nineties, like Alien Three and Terminator Two. But this is a whole nother level of rated R. Like, yeah, yeah, no, no, uh, I'm, that, that I think that's the answer. This this was what we came to understand is Tarantino films where there were tons of F-bombs, there's tons of violence, there's tons of, I mean, there's, there's some nudity, right? But in 1993, I guarantee you this skirted in NC-17. Uh, yeah, the rumors they had to cut some of the Gandolfini-Arquette fight uh, mostly the stuff that our cat was doing because they thought she was too animalistic or something like that. Uh, but you know, but you hold this up to a movie like RoboCop, for example. I don't see this being much worse than RoboCop um, from a violence standpoint and just being uh, dealing with more mature subject matter. Language standpoint, yeah, it does. I I think you're correct, but I, I feel like RoboCop has the veneer of Oh, but it's sci-fi. It's sci-fi, so yeah. it's it's genre. It's a little different here. I mean, outside of the odd Elvis is in his head, there's not really much in the way of fantasy. Wow. These are just people in <laughs> our world, more or less. Yeah. And as T Dubs points out, that may have just been code for mental illness. <laughs> I, I mean, but you know, I, I I do also think it does reflect that. There is something about getting yourself pumped up for stressful situations, you know? I mean, that's a legit thing. You have, you have, you have your daily affirmations. You've got your power posing. You know, he's preparing himself. Um, I'm sure uh, Jordan Peterson would be all over that. Um, but, yeah, I, but I still don't understand why this movie didn't make more money in the 90s. Like, in, in that time, I don't see why this didn't catch on with audiences. Um, the way Pulp Fiction did, ultimately, right? Pulp Fiction was a movie that wasn't like but expected was, to be a big it hit. was a second life movie too because it got the awards buzz right and but it's also spread word of mouth oh you gotta go see pulp fiction pulp fiction was a movie your friends told you yeah, about because it was before the internet right because, it was before the internet that's how you found out because of movie. the way pulp fiction is framed narratively that was different mm. now i like this movie a lot i like it better than some of tarantino's other movies but yeah. Pulp Fiction was different. No, it was that's unique. fair. And John Travolta was in it, so you might as well just, you know. Right. Well, and Travolta, Willis, Sam Jackson. No. It's got Johnny some of this. 
It's got some of the same elements, though. It's got some memorable scenes. It's got some over-the-top violence, you know, and it was edgy. It was, you know, it's kind of it had its darker moments. And and not only do you have, I mean, you think about it, you talk about violence and the language in the movies. Think about the scene at Zed's, you know, pawn shop, man. But Pulp Fiction is a much more self-aware movie than this is because it does not frame people who are clearly not heroes as heroes. And this yeah. movie does. Yeah, There's no heroes there. in Pulp Fiction. Yeah, that's good. You point. go into that movie understanding like, oh, this is showing me like a much realer like side of what life is. It's yeah, not yeah. selling you some sort of Hollywood story. Like that movie's ugly. I mean, realer. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Like well, the dialogue real, it, is. It's just, yeah. it's, it is like, these are not good people. Now, and can he, I attach myself to certain characters in this movie? Sure. Yeah. But this movie is very explicitly Hollywood. You have yeah. the very charismatic, handsome male and the woman who fawns over him. Yeah. Well, I think that's a really good observation there, T-Dubs, because when you watch Pulp Fiction, at no point in that movie do you really feel like they're trying to get you to pull for somebody, except for maybe you don't you, you want to see John Travolta save Uma Thurman. But aside from that, you don't really expect good things to come to any of those people at the end of the movie. Well, and John Travolta is actually like, even though he's kind of a shitbag who works for a bad person, it's the most charismatic person in that movie. Yeah, yeah, he does a lot of likable things. You know, yeah. he seems like a normal guy just living a life where he just happens to be, uh, you know, a hitman. Guy dies after taking yeah. a shit. Come on, that's not yeah. fair. Yeah, it's the hey. worst way to go out. You just had a great experience. You relaxed for fifteen minutes. You get shot. You get shot with your it's own bummer, gun. Man. It is a bummer. Uh, and I think you already answered this question, T Dubs. Is there another 90s movie with a cast like this? And your answer was, Oh, it's yeah, it's Boogie Nights or Boogie Nights. Yeah, the 80s was rife with movies like this because there were so many budding stars in the 80s, but yeah, yeah. If you go back to the whole rat pack thing, you know, there's there's there's, there there were movies literally designed around having that uh, that all star more of an ensemble feel. Um, but uh, no, I think the like, answer is, what's the Seth Green movie? The high school movie. We did it. Hang can't on. hardly wait. <laughs> can't hardly wait. That's that's that one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Sleepers. Late 90s. There's one right there. Like De Niro, Bacon, uh, our buddy from Speed 2, Jason Patrick. Yeah. Like that's a huge one. Like there, there's movies there that yeah. just attracted crazy casts. I mean, when was uh, when was the original... Uh, Flatliners. Oh yeah, that eighties yeah, or nineties? Uh, I think that was eighties, but yeah, Sutherland. Yeah, and, I mean, like yeah. you have Julia Roberts and Sutherland and and Kevin Bacon, and it's wild who was in that movie. Yeah, I you know I think the thing that always sticks out to me about True Romance is that mix between the young Hollywood guys, character actors, and then you bring in Walken and Hopper. You know. I mean, to be fair, yeah. I mean, old Hollywood character actors, oh, right? Old, older, yeah. Yeah, I mean, neither Walken nor Hopper are uh, what I would describe as like necessarily leading men. I mean, they might have led movies, but I feel like they always shined as, you know, yeah, the villain or the, you know, the the odd side person. Ensemble yeah, they, types. Yeah, yeah, but they've been in some big movies. I mean, it's just a oh, weird sure. mix of the generations. It's it's kind of cool. And then I guess my last question, and maybe the most important question I've got, who did more coke during filming, 
Chris Penn. Tar- Tarantino. Or Tom Tarantino. I, wait, hold on. You're disqualified from claiming Tarantino because he has famously gone on the record saying he never set a foot on set. Oh, so but I mean, like when they were filming, he was doing just shitloads of blow <laughs> in Hollywood. Sure. I feel like technically it counts. Okay, okay. Now, who on set was doing the most coke is a different question. I... I think this question is slightly in poor taste considering Chris Penn died prematurely, but I would say it was him. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. What about Tom Sizemore's dance moves during the shootout? Well, Tom Sizemore really didn't get bad into his addiction until later in life when he was dating Heidi Fleiss. And that's like a whole nother <laughs> really kind of sad Hollywood story. So I would definitely say Chris Penn, but yeah, I don't think there's any shortage of, the drugs they were uh, discussing on film on set of this movie. I mean, yeah. which which had a higher cocaine writer on it? This or Speed 2? Oh, this. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Because, you know, Sandra Bullock's not getting into that stuff. No, that's fair. She's clean. I mean, everybody no, else, no. though. She was just drinking the blood from the leeches on Willem Dafoe's chest to stay young. <laughs> I mean, who, who who wouldn't do that? I mean, stay. You have to listen. Willem Dafoe's blood is a hell of a drug. Yeah. Uh, all can, right. Well. Can Tom Sizemore's drug dealer come out to play? <laughs> Man. Uh, well, all right. Uh, Hang on. Secondary question. Okay. Larger cocaine rider on this or striking distance. Ooh, I like that one. Little Red Riding Hood. <laughs> right? Like, because you, you have to know, striking distance, the cocaine rider didn't just extend to the actors. It was like everybody. It, they paid the barge pirates in cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> and that, and that's to this like, day, that's currency amongst barge pirates on these three rivers. That's all yeah. I'm trying to say. And if you do it the conversion, that's probably actually cheaper than you know trying to pay them in cash because you know cocaine's probably at a premium in the uh, three rivers area. Not amongst the barge pirates. No. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I mean, at this time, we need to freshen up our brews ahead of the competitive portion of the pod, the White Boy Day Trivia Challenge. But first, here's a word from our Wolfman Entertainment Honey Bear Bong Hitting Brothers from Another Mother at the Double Turn Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? I'm Boss Ross. And I'm the J-Man, and we're the Double Turn Podcast. Every Friday, we bring you the best in pro wrestling talk. Whether it's previews and reviews on pay-per-view events, discussing the hottest topics in pro wrestling, or bringing you a look back to some of the best matches and moments in history. We have it all for you. So check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and the Anchor app. And you can also give us a follow on Instagram at the Double Turn Podcast. And we will catch you on the flip side. Welcome back to Hops Box Office Flops, presented by Wobam Entertainment. It is finally time for the White Boy Day Trivia Challenge. Gentlemen, tonight we have the standard format, five questions, multiple choice, and tonight you'll be playing for Clarence's signature sunglasses. The runner-up gets Alabama's screen-used corkscrew, uh, blood squibs included. And tonight's chime-ins are your part eggplant, and or your cantaloupe, 
Don't the cantaloupe. Wow. Wow. Come on. Don't you know, condescend. How great is it that his character from this movie is just his character from Joe Dirt, who was then in witness protection? Yeah, pretty much. So See I that. said to him, Hi, Dennis, can your mother sew? Boom, we'll have a sword app. Uh, and we also got, Don't condescend me, man. And I'd fuck Elvis or any of the pod standards. Man, what a lead in that was. Yeah. Wow. Right <laughs> talking, talking to the chick from the crow at the bar. Yeah. Oh, is that what she's from? Yeah. She's the one he uh, literally squeezes her veins so hard the heroin comes out of them. Morphine is bad for you. That makes sense. Uh, all right. Well, with that out of the way, let's get on to question number one. Several elements of the true romance script originated from tarantino's first amateur film what was it titled was it a funny business b my best friend's birthday c once upon a time in detroit or d the open road oh i take you wow. away hey i'm gonna give that to t-dubs i'm just gonna go with the uh the one that he went on to use later. And I'll say once upon a time in Detroit. Uh, That is the one I made up. And I'm very proud of that one. Ah, see, I was between that and the first one. All right. Well, can you steal Captain Cash? I'm going to a funny business, funny business. Oh, no, I am sorry. The correct answer was B my best friend's birthday. And I think the hint there is the fact that the whole reason we meet Alabama in the movies because Clarence is out for the movies because it's his, his birthday. Because it's his birthday. Uh, yeah, you ever really. seen Funny Games? Now that's a weird movie. No, uh, there's a but, recommendation, listeners. Ooh, okay. Uh, but the Open Road is the name of the combined script that started out as True Romance, with the ending becoming yeah. Uh, Natural born killers. Uh, natural born killers. Yeah. I mean, this movie's not that far removed from natural born killers, except that they're painted as the protagonists in this movie. Yeah, it's a Bonnie and Clyde road trip thing. Yeah. To some degree. All right. Well, uh, no one got a point there. So we're tied up at zero to zero as we move on to question number two. The comic book Clarence Shows Alabama is Sergeant Fury and his howling commandos issue number. 18 from 1963 there is a copy of this comic for sale on amazon right now how much is it going for is it going for a 22 dollars b 33 dollars c 44 dollars or d 55 dollars farts and tarts captain cash 55 55 d that is incorrect son of a bitch really yeah, T dubs. Okay, well, what do you got went, for me? He went one extreme. I'll go the other and say twenty-two dollars. Oh, I am sorry. The correct answer was C, forty-four American dollars. I don't know if that's a good deal or not, but that's what it's going for. It's, so uh, clearly not a good deal. Yeah. <laughs> well, <sighs> hey, this is still a contest, folks. 
We got three questions left. Maybe somebody can get on the board here with question number three. We never see the gangster Blue Lou on screen in the final film, but it was a speaking part in early drafts of the script. What actor was the first choice for the role? Was it A, John Travolta, B, Steve Buscemi, C, Michael Madsen, or D, Bobby De Niro? Farts and starts. Captain Cash. De Niro, baby. It was De Niro. Uh, fun fact. Initially, Harvey Weinstein was attached to produce the film, and his pick for Clarence was Steve Buscemi, which got him promptly fired from the project. Okay, so <laughs> accepting that Harvey Weinstein is a fucking monster who should probably be thrown in a fire, having Buscemi as Clarence does make a lot of sense in context. Also, it, Steve Buscemi is a, a gem of a human being. Exactly. And... That's what I mean. He's got a lot of heart. I mean, he's kind of weird looking, but he got a lot of heart. And I can understand how uh, rather than being classically handsome. Yeah. The, the character is written as to not be, oh, you're the first of all, his diet in this movie consists solely of cheeseburgers and junk food. And he's this ripped incredibly handsome young man <laughs> who attracts this like, I, incredibly I, beautiful woman. Casting Buscemi, he would have been too old for the role, even in 91 or 93. But I get it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think it would have worked in Tarantino's version of the movie, but in Tony Scott, you need somebody to Fair. No, that's fair, because it's more of a fairy tale. You know, that, that tracks. Yeah, but anyway, congratulations. Kevin Thank you. Cash. You are first on the board with one point. So let's take that one point lead into question number four. During the scenes at the Hollywood producer's hotel room, we see dailies for the fictitious Vietnam movie coming home in a body bag too. In reality, we were seeing helicopter footage from what real Vietnam film? Was it A, Platoon, B, The Deer Hunter, C, Apocalypse Now, or D, Full Metal Jacket? That's tough. They reference both The Deer Hunter and Apocalypse Now, but take me away. I'm going to say The Deer Hunter because there is a very lengthy helicopter scene in that movie, of course, which is pivotal to the film. Oh, I am and sorry. That is incorrect. Oh, wow. Dang Given the Bobby D fast. connection, that's what I would have said. Well, and, and you got walking too. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. I was really hoping Good Morning Vietnam was a choice there, but clearly not. <laughs> uh, so that leaves us with... We've got Platoon, Platoon, A, C, Apocalypse Now, or D, Full Metal Jacket. Platoon would have been produced at around the same time. Uh, but... Okay. Was, wasn't that late Platoon 90s? was late 80s, wasn't it? Yeah, 88, 89. Yeah. One best picture. Yeah. Uh Platoon would have been produced around the same time. Full Metal Jacket, similar, and, but I don't. I no way. Apocalypse now can't be. Good that like Kubrick would have defended that too hard. Yeah, give me, that, give me, give me Full Metal Jacket. Oh, geez, I am sorry. It was a Platoon bastard. I'm, I'm gonna guess what you overlooked there was the Oliver Stone 
connection. Uh, Oliver Stone was probably trying to butter up Tarantino to get the next script to let him use some of his footage. Uh, yeah, but, but fun fact, you, you've got Walken and the Deer Hunter and Dennis Hopper in Apocalypse Now, which is, I think, why those movies get brought up. They, I mean, there was zero chance Kubrick was letting anyone. Yeah, no. You, no. you know the scene I'm referring to in The Deer Hunter, though, right? When Michael falls from the helicopter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah and breaks his, uh, breaks his back. Breaks his back, yeah. 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 But like... Deer Hunter, tough watch, folks. It's it's a long movie. It's like, what, three hours? It feels like seven, but... <laughs> Yeah, it's like it's, three, maybe three. It, but, it has been literally since the late '90s since I watched Deer Hunter. Yeah. So yeah. It's, a, it's a very good film. It's a very heavy film, and it's yeah. not my recommendation. No, no. <laughs> it, I will say they drink a lot of Rolling Rock in that movie. It's also got Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep is in that movie. She was married to John Cassale at the time. Who, by the way, I don't think any actor is hit for a better average than John Cassell, who was in The Godfather, The Godfather 2, Dog Day Afternoon, Deer Hunter, and then died of pancreatic cancer. Oof. But, I mean, that he, he batted a thousand, and he married Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep, yeah. That's that's like that's like batting a thousand. and That's incredible. <laughs> leading the league in stolen bases. Yeah. Listen, um, at a certain point, you recognize when it's time to leave the party. Fair. Yep, yeah. All right, well, Captain Cash, you're in the lead with one point as we head into the night's final question. Quentin Tarantino guest directed an episode of what popular 90s television show? Was it A, The X-Files, B, NYPD Blue, C, Law and Order, or D, E-R? Take me away. That would be the Thunderous Wizard. X-Files. You know what? I would have loved to have seen that as an X Files dork myself. Damn but it. sadly, T Dubs, that is I know what it is. Correct. It's not even a fun thing. Captain Cash, your remaining answers are, and you've already won, but for pride, you've got B, NYPD Blue, C, Law and Order, or D, E, R. I'm mostly just mad friends wasn't a choice. <laughs> Should have been. It, I really would have liked Tarantino's friends. I regret that now for my one-liner. Yeah, dang. I missed that one. Uh, but I'm, I feel like it's ER, isn't it? It is. Uh, D-E-R, that's correct. It is, yeah. He directed the 24th episode of the first season of ER, 1995's Motherhood. Yeah. I also was there, Gandalf. I was there 5,000 years ago. John Cazale also in the conversation. So, well, congratulations, Captain Cash. You have won Clarence's signature Elvis sunglasses. And T Dubs, I know you're a wine guy, so you'll make good use of that corkscrew. Just watch the well, you know, first. Yeah. If I'm going to do anything with that corkscrew, it's going to be to kill a New Jersey mobster. So, fair enough. And since you've been teasing us with recommendations all mm -hmm. night, the Thunderous Wizard, do you have an actual recommendation for us? I do. And I don't think I've recommended this. I know I've recommended its sequel, but this movie has a very stacked cast full of recognizable people. And my recommendation, which I believe is free on Amazon Prime right now, is The Expendables number one. Oh. It is so damn good. It's I mean, truthfully, I haven't watched it. <laughs> it's I mean, I, I, I'm probably going to get on that. 
It's got hammy performances. It's got plenty of violence, just like this movie. Uh, it's great. I love The Expendables. I can't wait for The Expendables 4. I hope it returns the franchise to its glory after the terrible Expendables 3, even if that did have our favorite punching bag, Fraser Crane, in it. You mean the owner of the money plane? Yes, money plane himself. I sent everybody I know that trailer for Money Plane Christmas movie I sent you guys, and I'll post it to the socials. <laughs> and I was like, I told my sister, we're definitely watching this. She's like, that looks like shit. It's like, doesn't matter. I'm watching Fraser Crane inexplicably have three British daughters. Oh, man. That's a, you are a glutton for punishment, my friend. Wow. Okay. Well, thanks for the recommendation there on The Expendables, available on Amazon Prime. Captain Cash, what's your recommendation for the week? Are you familiar with the YouTuber Jenny Nicholson? Listener. If not, she very recently did a review that is three and a half hours long about her experience going to Evermore Park in Utah, which is this extended fantasy LARP theme park that is just a shit show. I, uh, you should listen to it because I don't know how to describe it. It's insane. Sounds terrifying. It is. But I mean, her experience seems nice. And honestly, it kind of seems like, you know what? I don't, I haven't done a lot of research other than having watched her video, but it seems like there were a lot of people who poured a lot of blood, sweat and tears into making a thing that they really wanted to make. And maybe got a little exploited by the people who own the place, which sucks. But at the same time, it's an interesting watch. Watch that. It's a lot. Again, it's a three and a half hour YouTube video about Evermore Park. Okay. That's a long YouTube video. It is a really long. It's comprehensive. And Jenny Nicholson is very good at what she does. And this isn't uncommon for her to have that. Huh. recommend so, though so is this like action park for nerds does, any, does anybody get hurt <laughs> uh, <laughs> is there, is there i like mean a, is there a bobsled down just a like a straight emotionally canal maybe <laughs> is there is there is there premarital sex and drug use <laughs> does anybody I mean, dive in a wave die in a wave pool <laughs> yeah or like like a water slide that like it like I scrapes mean, your skin off as you go down. Yeah. 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 Well, Again, yeah. emotionally, maybe. Maybe. Um, you're, you're, you're skinned emotionally. Okay. Side recommendation, listeners. Class Action Park on HBO, which yeah. is about yeah. the thing we we're just making fun of. Yeah. No, a- Action Park. Real thing in like New Jersey. Traction Park. Whatever. Real thing where kids died and <laughs> uh, parents tried mm. to sue and were hopelessly tied up in litigation because this dirty, greasy fucking scumbag who had a lot of money did not give a shit about safety regulations it's wild yeah it, it, there's documentaries about it i'm sure there's youtube uh, uh three hour youtube videos about it too you know action park aka traction park check it out kids it was a real thing um all right well that's a solid recommendation i suppose sounds like it might be a little emotionally trying but who knows maybe people want to feel feel something more and they'll check it out. My recommendation is uh, something related to last week's pod. Cause sadly I missed the Jason X pod. Cause I really wanted to make this my recommendation because I 
was not aware of the backstory for the actor who plays Jason in the film, Kane Hodder. Um, oh, great. This is good segue. Because I didn't share this story on last week's pod. And I okay. had to. So I was going to Boston for reasons. Um, and we had to rent a car. And I saw a man going through the rental car place that looked remarkably like Kane Hodder. And I know what Kane Hodder looks like because I love horror movies. So I followed said person down to the rental cars because we had to go that way anyways. And I looked at the rental board and sure enough, Kane fucking Hodder. So I stopped him and I said, Mr. Hodder, and I never do this. Uh, I don't like bothering people. I said, I'm a big fan. Uh, would you take a photo with me? And he took a photo with me <laughs> at the rental car place uh, outside of Boston Airport. So here's where I'm calling bullshit. No one ever rents a car in Boston. Why yeah. would you rent a car in Boston? What is yeah. wrong well, with you? We were driving all and the way Kane Hodder apparently to the outskirts. You know where my my dad grew up, so we weren't going to be in uh, the city. But uh, yeah, I met. Fuck, Kane I hate Hodder. driving in Boston. <laughs> Did it's he, terrible. Yeah, it's terrible. Did he choke you for the photo? No, he was super nice. And well, no, uh, he's famous for choking people like at cons and stuff. Like, uh, I didn't ask him to do that. I just oh, asked yeah, him you have to ask for that. I just assumed uh, that just that was the standard treatment. You know, that's that's that comes up. You gotta ask for the choke. Uh, Come on, okay, that's yeah. that's the standard consent. And I'm really disappointed. Enthusiastic consent. Yeah, you fell Precisely. asleep because I had such a good quiz that I wrote for that for Jason X. Yeah, and a lot of it was just about uh, the series because the movie yeah. itself, not so much. We talked a lot about it on the pod, like. But anyway, there's my pod. story about Kane Hodder. Yeah, well, my recommendation would have been and is tonight to check out "To Helen Back" the Kane Hodder story, uh, and you guessed it, it's free on Tubi because, of course, um, <laughs> Tubi it- bucks, Tubi. Yeah, man, send the checks straight to T-Dubs. Just all, we'll, we'll figure it out from there. Come on, Tubi, hook us up. But no, um, you know, it was just a really interesting, like, look at his life and career. Because uh, he's like a longtime stuntman. And he played uh, Jason for four uh, Friday the 13th movies, including Jason X, right? Yeah. And it's got a 100% score on Rotten Tomatoes. And like, yeah, I mean, if you're a fan of horror movies, you know, Friday the 13th or his like hatchet franchise, definitely check it out. Cause he, he talks a lot about it and he seems like a really nice guy. And like, he, I didn't realize this, super nice. Yeah. He, he got bullied as a kid <laughs> to um, me. <laughs> and I guess he's a you know, famous story about him is that like, he was trying to get stunt work early in his career and he wanted to show off for these guys. So he did a fire stunt that went horribly wrong and burnt him. Yeah. He got burned. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Pretty bad. Like, like a third of his body or something like that, but he recovered and, continued on has been a you know working actor slash stunt guy for many many years I believe so yeah, check he it out. started with friday the 13th part six yeah i think you're right i think he did like six seven six seven eight and so then and then ten or is it seven did you so say five because you might have done no, six, seven eight i think he did seven eight nine okay seven, nine, eight, nine, nine, nine goes to hell right yeah yeah seven eight nine ten and of course he also did the freddy's hand that comes and grabs the jason's glove um He's such like a cult figure. If you're a fan of that series, that people were pissed that he didn't get to be Jason in Freddy versus Jason. Yeah, like they were a little pissed. bit. Of, uh... It was like Ken Kinzinger or something. Yeah, 
very similar. I think a lot of people got pissed at uh, at what's his face when he played. Uh, oh, Latimer from the pro. Oh, when he played uh, Leatherface. Leatherface. Yeah, a lot, same thing. A lot of fans were divided. Well, you know, that's when, they like, him in. when a guy gets like older, older. I get it, but yeah, Freddie Precision was like two years after Jason X. Yeah. So and he's still working today. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, I think that wraps up recommendations and brings us to the end of the episode. Uh, thanks again, folks, for joining us tonight. Next week we have the second installment in our Hops and Heartthrob Flop series. It's T Dub's pick. We're doing necessary roughness, getting some Scott Bakula action. Scott Bakula, as I mentioned on the pod, the most underutilized 90s talent in history. I cannot wait to talk about this movie, which is not only basically a sequel to the program, but also the replacements just ripped off the movie whole cloth. (laughs) Well, already, I have not seen this movie in a very long time, so I'm looking forward to going back and rewatching it. And as always, you can find the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Hops and B.O. Flops. You can find me on Twitter at Chumpzilla8. Captain Cash is at C-A-P-T-C-A-S-H on most social medias. And the Thunderous Wizard can be found on Twitter at WriterTLK. And of course, last but not least, Mayor McCheese can be found at H-B-O-F McCheese on the Twitters. And don't forget to check out Wobam Entertainment at WobamEntertainment.com. If you enjoy the show, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe. And don't forget to connect with us on social medias. Whew. Alrighty, folks. I like you, T-Dubs. And Captain Cash. Always have. Always will. <laughs>